Amen. What's up, Clemson FCA? Good to see y'all. I um, had a couple friends text me. They said, hey, um, praying for you tonight, but I'm going to bed. It's nine o'clock. So all my friends are in bed. I hope your friends are cooler than mine. Um, it's fun to be here, though. Y'all look alive at 9.38 p.m., so I'm going to give you my best 9.38 sermon I got, all right? Um, hey, just quick introduction. I'm from... Um, as he said, I'm Blake. I work at uh, Grace Church in upstate, and I've been there for about eight years. I'm originally from Gastonia, North Carolina. Any Charlotte people? Okay, yeah. People don't know about Gastonia, but Charlotte's relevant. Um, I have worked in full-time ministry for about eight years, and it's been great. And I would love to talk to you about it if you have questions or if you're considering it. I'll be here after at midnight, so just come, just come find me, Okay. Um, the whole eight years I've been working in ministry, I've been married for that whole time. And um, we have three beautiful girls. So I brought a picture of them with me. Um, oh, they're right here. So these are my girls. This is Ella Grace on the left. Um, the one in the middle, Sophie, she's a year old now, but I'm a dad, so I don't take pictures. So this is all I got. And um, my crazy child is the one over here with the flower. In, oh, they both have flowers in their hair. The one with their feet up. That's Millie, and she's a, she's a good time. And... Um, it's funny, I, a couple of people said, have I ever been here before? And my first Clemson F FCA experience happened 10 years ago. So 2014, my uh, best friend now was the um, worship leader back in the day. So his name was Connor. None of y'all know him because y'all weren't even born 10 years ago. And so, um, I'm just kidding. That was to make me feel younger, all right? Um, so I came and he was like, hey, listen, I want you to come and um, I want you to do a rap in the middle of a song. And so I was like, yeah, man, I was 19. I was like, I'll do it. And I thought there'd be like, you know, 150 people here or whatever. And so I'll never forget when I came out or that, that day when I got there, I saw all these people start coming in. I was like, what are all these people here for, <laughs> you know? And um, I walked out in the middle of the stage and for 30 seconds, I rapped in the middle of a song. And I just want y'all to know, it was the worst 30 seconds of my life. And I prayed that God got me through it, and he did. So I just want to tell you, if anybody ever says, hey, you should come rap in the middle of a song, just kindly look back at them and say, no, thank you. It'll save you some time unless you're just really awesome, right? And so I'm excited to be back with y'all tonight. And let me just say, um, I speak on behalf of our church. We are grateful for and believe in what God is doing here at Clemson FCA. And in the last, I mean, 20, 30 years, we've seen God use this ministry to shape people and form people. And I didn't even go to school here, and I know people all over the world that were a part of what happens here on Thursday nights, and they are doing amazing thing for God's kingdom. And so what's cool to me about what, what God does in college is you come here thinking you're gonna get the right um, degree and hopefully maybe find a spouse or your best friends or whatever, and God just slowly starts to hijack that and give you bigger plans. And so I hope that's happening for you. I hope God is beginning to invade your soul and give you a vision for yourself that you did not have coming here, all right? So I'm excited. Hey, grab your Bibles or your phones, whatever you got tonight. Turn to Nehemiah 13. Ne Ooh, that was uh, audible. Nehemiah, it's in the Old Testament. There's a reference page at the beginning of your Bible that tells you where it is. I guess people don't speak from Nehemiah normally. Good to know. This will be the worst sermon all year. All right, I want to talk to y'all tonight about a problem I've had for a long time. 
And that problem is called sin. Anybody else been dealing with that? Okay, just me. Well, I'm gonna teach y'all about it. I'm an expert. And one of the great gifts about working at a church, I really do think this may be one of the best gifts, is if you just pay attention, if you just pay attention, like it gets clear real quick how sin works. Because for the last eight years, I've just been watching um, people and I've sat with people and I've cried with people all over the same problem that we all have. And if you just pay attention, like it's pretty clear what happens, how sin enters our life and the effects that it have. And here's what's fascinating is that sin often prevents what God wants for you. Sin often prevents what God wants for you, which is sad because God wants great things for everybody in this room tonight. He wants great things for everybody in this room. And actually, believe it or not, God has bigger plans for your life than you even do. And I'm not just talking about success. Like God has dreams for you and they're bigger and better than even the dreams that you have in this moment. He's that good and he is that kind. And usually... Not always, but usually the thing that messes up what God wants for us is us. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting, but usually the thing that gets in the way of what God has for you is you. At least that's been true in my life, and I've seen it on repeat time and time again. And so as I was praying for y'all, that was my prayer. My prayer is that sin won't prevent what God wants to do in your life. And let me just tell you, like, in a decade from now, so I'm a decade older than most of y'all, if you can get to 30 and just follow God and obey him, like, the amount of blessing that will be in your life and around your life will be amazing. You'll cry sometimes thinking about it. But here's why I wanted to talk about this tonight, is because um, the thing about this environment that I think is dangerous is this is an awesome environment. And let me just tell you something about yourself, all right? This is a fact. I'm not even guessing. This is just true. Y'all are beautiful people. I'm looking at you. Did y'all know that? Don't act like you didn't know that. You, you, whatever. But you put your clothes on tonight, you're like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good enough. Y'all are beautiful people. Here's another thing. Y'all are talented people. And a lot of y'all, you're going to make a lot of money in like five years. You're going to make more money than you ever thought. You, you, you're not going to know what to do with it. Some of y'all are going to make beautiful kids. Like mine, you know, shout out to my kids. And here's what's interesting when our life is working is that oftentimes when our life is working, it's, it's a gateway for Satan to slither in and use your success and tempt you with pleasures from this world. Because when our life is going well, usually that's when our guards begin to fall and that's when he begins to um, slide in and offer us other things. And so what I want to think about tonight is how does sin actually work? How does it work? In this passage in Nehemiah, which nobody's ever taught from before, um, it, it teaches us that. All right. So let me give you a little context on Nehemiah. If you're a context person, this is for you. If you've never read this book, here's what's happened. is God's people, the Israelites, the Jews, they've been living in exile. 
okay? Which just means that they were slaves. That's really what that means. It means that a stronger empire with, with greater powers have come and they've taken them back to where they live and now the Israelites are their slaves. And so for most of the Israelites, like that just sucked. I mean, you're just a slave, right? You have to do what people tell you to do. But then for some people like Nehemiah, you get a special place in the, in the palace and it's not that terrible. But here's the interesting thing is they've started to be free and they're starting to go back to Jerusalem. So they've lived up north, they're starting to go back to Jerusalem and they're starting to face a lot of problems because on the front end, it was exciting because they're getting to go home and reclaim their hometown. But what's interesting and throughout Israel's history, and this is true today even, is that they lived away for 50, 60, 70, 100 years and when they go back to Jerusalem, people have been living there. People didn't leave. So just imagine if some dude knocked on your house one night back in high school and he's like, hey, this is my house. You're like, this ain't your house. <laughs> this is my house. He's like, no, 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 this is my land. My grandparents own this house, so I need you to get out or I'm going to kill you. That's not great, is it? Like, then I guess you just got to decide either you're going to fight or try to lock the door and call the cops. But that's the only two options. That's what's happening here. So they're going back to Jerusalem and they're trying to get this land back and people don't really want them back because they've been living there. And then the people that are living there don't like them anyway. So there's all this conflict, there's all this turmoil and Nehemiah's gonna hear about all this and he's gonna wanna go back. And here's the biggest problem they got. The biggest problem that these people have is themselves. It's because not only do the people living there don't like them, well, they don't really like each other. And so they got a real challenge. And so Nehemiah is going to go back and he is going to try to help them finish rebuilding the wall to keep people out. And he's going to try to help them follow God. And so if you take notes, I want you to write down two words tonight. These are the two things that I want to look at as we read this passage. The first one is this. Write down the word compromise. When I say compromise, that's really what I mean when I'm talking about sin tonight. It's because if we're honest, like most of us aren't, like flagrantly sinning. It just feels like a compromise. You know what God wants for you, but instead you just settle for something less, right? And then the second word I want you to write down is confrontation. And I'll show you this picture. Um, this, there's, a, there's a graph that I drew. Um, this is how I think God works in our life, is that when we as his people, when we compromise, when we settle for things that are less than what God wants for us, he finds a way to confront us. And the reason he's confronting us is because God knows, and oftentimes we know, that there's something much better than what we're settling for. And what God's trying to do is raise our sights and pull us out of the sin that we find ourselves in. And over time, year after year, decade after decade, what happens is you begin to step into the blessing that God has for you because he's pulled you out of the muck that you found. And so this is what we're going to see in this chapter. All right, so let's jump in together. And think about this, one more thing. Um, confrontation, it's not a great word, right? We all agree? We don't really like that word. Anybody like confrontation in here? Nope. All right, great. Nobody. No eights? No eights in here? No Enneagram. Enneagram, no eights? All right, we got a happy group of people. Well, you are eight? No, I'm not an eight. Oh, she's not an eight. She just knows some people that are eights. Um, she's a two. All right, well, here's the thing. <laughs> Um, there's, there's going to be some real confrontation in this text. All right. So y'all just hang on since y'all hate it. All right. Let's, let's catch up. Verse 13, uh, 
chapter 13, verse 1. On that same day as the book of Moses was being read. So what day are they talking about? They've, they've finished everything. Like the, the temple's been rebuilt. The walls have been rebuilt. Like things are going good. It's a good day. We just won the national championship. We're celebrating, right? That's the idea. And on the same day when they're celebrating, the book of Moses was being read to the people. The passage was found that said no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be permitted to enter the assembly of God. Verse 2. For they had not provided the Israelites with food and water in the wilderness. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse them. Though our God turned the curse into a blessing, verse 3, and when this passage of the law was read, all of those, all those of foreign descent were immediately excluded from the assembly. All right, so it's kind of an obscure text. Let me try to break it down. Here's what's happening. They're reading the Bible in the temple, and they get to this passage that said, don't let any Ammonite or any Moabite into the temple. And the reason that's problematic is because as they look up, guess what? Guess who's there? Come on, y'all talk to me. Guess who's there in the temple? Ammonites and Moabites. And so what's happened is, as, they've, as people have lived there and while they've been in exile, they've intermarried with other cultures. And this is not a text against interracial marriage. Obviously, I'm a big fan, right? God's a big fan. Um, I believe in it to the tune of three kids, right? So it's a good thing. If you are in an interracial relationship, I'm with you, all right? So it's not about that. God doesn't care that we mix races, okay? I just taught this passage before, and I got crucified for not saying it. So I was going to say it tonight, all right? Um, here's what God cares about, though. He cares about mixing gods, and so the reason that intermarriage was a problem was because it also meant that you were not just marrying somebody of a different culture, but you were also adopting their God. And God does care about that. He does care about purity in his people. He doesn't, he's not okay with us to say we worship him, but to have all these other gods too. And that's what is happening here. And what's, what they do is as they're reading the Bible, it's the first confrontation that you see in this text is all they do is they open up the scripture, they read this text from Deuteronomy, and they realize like something's gotta change. And here's what I think is, is fascinating, is it's, a, it's an act of kindness on God's behalf, but God uses the Bible to confront us. So you might be thinking, how does God even speak to us? Well, the Bible is how God speaks to you. Second Timothy three says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives which assumes there's something wrong in our lives, that we have to be willing to humble ourselves and say, hey God, show me. And as we read, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so here's what you see, catch that at the end of that passage, is what's the point of the correction? It's so that we can do every good work. And so he's, he's moving us in a direction so that we can actually do his, his good deeds that he has for us, right? And so I just wonder, like, have you ever been reading, reading the scriptures and, you, you know, time in the morning or whenever you read? And um, <clears throat> have your little, whatever you do, y'all mocha people, I'm just black coffee and a Yeti, you know, at like 6 a.m. If I'm lucky that day. Sometimes it's 6.30. And sometimes you're just reading and the Bible will just, just smack you in the face, you know. Does that ever happen to y'all? Okay, it happened to me last week. I was reading Proverbs 12. And this is what it said, to learn, you must love discipline. 
it is stupid to hate correction. I was like, oh my gosh, it's 6.05 a.m. I wasn't ready for that. Two thoughts when I read it. The first thought was, I just told my daughter last night not to say stupid. God doesn't like it when we say stupid. (laughs) And then I read this, I was like, okay, I gotta go tell her. God's okay with stupid. He's good with it. There's a category of people that that makes sense for. And then the second thought I had was, I hate correction. I hate when anybody sits me down and tells me something. Like, I just don't like it. I would rather you sit me down and tell me how awesome I am. I hate it when you're like, hey, I just wanted you to know, like, um, you've been coming in late every night and it's kind of been waking us up. I'm wondering, can you come in a little bit quieter? Like, that was one of the thoughts I had in college. Hey, can you, can you make your feet lighter? I was like, no, I can't make my feet lighter. I'm sorry, this 13s, I can't help it, right? I hate it, doesn't matter what it is. And this is one of those moments where God's word just kind of reached out and grabbed me and gave me a new idea to consider. And I do, I want to encourage y'all tonight, like God wants to use his scriptures to reorient you. He wants to use his scriptures to teach you and to train you and equip you. So that's the first version of the conversation we see is just with his word, right? Keep reading, verse four. <clears throat> We're gonna go back in time here. Before this happened, so before they, the moment with the Bible where they realized they have people in the temple that shouldn't be there, Eliashib, the priest, who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God, and who was also a relative of Tobiah, had converted a large storage room and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. All right, so here's who Tobiah is. If you've read Nehemiah, Tobiah is actually an enemy of God's people. And this whole book, Tobiah has been working to thwart their plan. He don't want anything to do with them. He's trying to, he's trying to mess them up. So just imagine... Um, Y'all play Georgia next year? Is that right? Opening game. All right, so just imagine first film session, and we invite, y'all invite Georgia's offensive and defensive coordinator to come sit in film session, and they're rocking the gear. Or even if I walked up here tonight with a good dog shirt on, you know? Y'all probably be like, what's he doing? Does he not know where he's at, <laughs> you know? Even though I know there's some closet Georgia fans in here, so it's okay. Um, you'd be like, what's he doing? He doesn't even belong here. Like, you're just, he's an enemy. It doesn't make any sense. And that's who Tobiah was. Like, he, he's, an enemy of, he's an enemy of God's people. But notice this. Read verse 4. Where does he live? Y'all talk to me. Where's he living? In where? The temple. So he's God's enemy, and he's living in the temple. And here's the question you should be thinking as you read this. Like, how is he there? How is he there? And so here's the first idea I want to talk about tonight when it comes with how sin works. Here's how he is there. It's because over time, the people that are living in the temple, they've been compromising. They've been letting people come in that they like that aren't really God's people. They've been letting them come in. They've been letting them um, find ways to get involved. They're trying to incorporate them so much so that this enemy of God now lives there. He has a room there. And over time, they've just compromised to a point where it actually makes sense in their head for him to live there. And here's the first idea, is this is why we compromise, is because compromise is always easier. It's always easier. If you wanna go out tonight and reject what God has for you, it's always easier. There's always a flow that you can find yourself in that makes sense of sin and gives you something to go have fun with and it's always easier and holiness is always harder. 
especially in y'all season, it's always harder. Like, it's always easier for you to get in the flow of what everybody else is doing. It's always harder for you to stand in opposition of what everybody else is doing, right? It's way easier to go further than you should and respond to your sexual desires in ways that God doesn't want for you to. That's easier. I've done it. And it makes sense in the moment, right? It's always easier, um, let me just pick on my family for a minute. It's easier as a mom to comfort your child than it is to discipline your child. Like all I really want to do is give her a piece of candy and put on the TV show so I can just have some peace. Like doing the right thing is always harder. And theologically, the reason this is, is because we have a sin bent. We have a sin nature. And so we're fundamentally, we're, we lean toward le- leaning into those desires, right? And so what God is doing is he's trying to pull us back. So compromise is always easier. Here's the second idea, is that compromise is always incremental. It's always incremental. And so don't miss this. Like he is all the way in the temple, which is absurd. But here's the thing is that does not just happen. He doesn't just wake up one day and find himself in the temple. Like what's been happening is slowly over time, they have been making some choices, little choices, just little ones. They've been letting some sin kind of creep in. And so slowly over time, they've gotten to a point where now this makes sense. Now it makes sense for him to have a room. Like if I showed up, so I mean, I'm a professional Christian, right? That's what I do. And if I showed up to my job on Monday and my boss said, hey, I want you to know, I'm out. You have a new boss coming in and he's a Buddhist. I would be like, what are you talking about? Like I would have no category for what that means. And here's, here's the point. is like there's no way that's ever just going to happen. The only way that's ever going to happen is if over time, step by step, we start to forget the importance of following God and let things fall through the cracks. And then eventually, we might get to a point where that makes sense. And here's the thing about compromise always being incremental, is this is how sin seems to work, is that you always feel like you're in a place where sin is manageable and insignificant. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, you're trying to deal with it, and you're like, I mean, I just, I think I got it. I'm not gonna do it again. Or this just, I know this probably isn't great, but it's not as bad as it could be. Like that's how sin works in my life. It's like, it's always just, it feels manageable and it feels insignificant. And then I find myself in a relationship with sin and oftentimes I have no idea how I got here. And it's because it doesn't happen quickly. It happens incrementally. I heard a teacher say this one time. He said, you don't just wake up one day and ruin your life. And he actually says specifically, like, I'm not going to go cheat on my wife tomorrow. I was like, man, that's a bold dude up there. But here's what he knew that I didn't at the time. He just knew how sin worked. And his life was, he was living in a pattern of holiness. And so he was saying with confidence, I'm so far away from that, that there's no way that would make sense to me right now. But over time it could, but right now it doesn't. So actually, this is super encouraging. Super encouraging for you if you're trying to follow Jesus. So it's always incremental. So here's the question for you tonight. Is what is this for you? How is sin working slowly in your life right now? Like, what is it? How does it have a hold on you? What is the thing that you feel is manageable? All right, let's keep reading. Verse 7. 
When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed and providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. And so Nehemiah, he becomes very upset. He threw all of Tobiah's belonging out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified and I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offerings and the frankincense. So I don't know if y'all have ever wanted an excuse to like throw somebody's stuff out of your room, but I kind of have. It looks cool in the movies. I'm like, man, I'd love to just get the suitcase and throw it out, right? That's what he's doing. He's furious. He's like, man, all your stuff has got to go. He's throwing it out. Here's the third idea is that compromise needs confrontation. Compromise, it needs confrontation because think about it. If Nehemiah comes back, he finds an enemy living in the temple and he just acts like nothing's happening then is that good or bad? Well, that's bad. Because then it's just gonna keep happening. But let me make this real practical. I think this is real practical for y'all if you're trying to live in a Christian community. Is what happens when you see a brother or a sister in Christ who is compromising themselves, compromising their faith. This is what I think the scriptures teach is that in a loving and in a gentle and in a truthful way, like compromise, it needs confrontation. We need people doing that for us and we need to be doing that for other people. And God is using all of that as a gift to pull his people back. But what's hard is, if you're like me, and if you're like y'all, because you told me you hate confrontation just now, is that this flies in the face of everything our culture says. Right? This flies in the face of everything our culture says. Because here's what we think when we think about seeing a brother or sister in sin, is we think, well, I mean, if I, I could say something, but I mean, who am I to judge? Right? Who am I to judge? I'm not better than them. Or you may have this thought. I mean, I just, I just don't want to really risk the relationship. These are all thoughts you've had. Or you could say, well, let me just give it a little bit more time. I'm sure if I give it a little bit more time, then they'll figure it out. And here's what I think Nehemiah is graciously teaching us. Is that usually sin doesn't just get figured out on its own. It doesn't usually get figured out on its own. Usually, God has to step in and shake us up a little bit for us to realize that we are, we are missing it. And in our, economy, in our economy, confrontation, it means cancellation. Like if you confront somebody, like usually you're out. Or it means that you hate them, or it means you don't like them. But this is, this is helpful for us as believers, is that in God's economy, confrontation actually means redemption. It means redemption. It's the whole point. It's the whole goal. It's the reason you lean across the table with the brother or sister that you love and you say, hey, I just, I've seen this play out and I just wonder if God has more for you. And in that moment, what you're going to see God do more times than you will imagine is he is going to use that as a catalyst in that person's life to wake up and get back in the flow of what God wants. And he uses it as redemption. So we need to be doing that for people and we need people doing that for us, Right? All right, verse 15, hop down. Let's keep reading. In those days, I saw men of Judah. So this is still Nehemiah. He's kind of walking through. He's seeing all these things. I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. So first we have interracial marriage that's, make, that's mixing gods. Second, we have an enemy living in the temple. And then third, we have people that are just completely dismissing Sabbath. They're just, they don't care at all. 
And here's the fourth idea, is that compromise, it leads to other compromise. Compromise, it leads to other compromise. No sin is manageable. The Bible says it's, it's crouching at your door waiting to attack. It's not manageable. And so what normally happens is compromise, it leads to other compromise. In our lives, especially. It's like the direct TV commercial. Y'all remember these? It's like when your cable doesn't work, you get bored. And when you get bored, you start staring out windows. And when you start staring out windows, you see stuff you shouldn't see. And then you run out to stop the stuff you shouldn't see and you die. <laughs> right? Y'all remember those commercials? They're just like, okay, that's ridiculous. But honestly, it's helpful. Because that's oftentimes how the progression of sin works is that one compromise will lead to another compromise and then what happens is over time, we find ourselves in a place that we would have never imagined. John 10.10 10 says that the thief's purpose, talking about the enemy, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if that's true, it makes sense of this. And then here's the last one, verse 23. About that same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. And you're like, man, they spoke the language of Ashdod. Sounds like a Marvel movie, doesn't it? <laughs> right? The little Ashdodians running around. Here's the last idea. Write this down if you're taking notes is that their compromise had led to the compromise of others. And as a dad, this, reading this verse in this passage is actually really sad because here's what's happening, is that the, the sin of the parents has bled off to the kids. And um, let me just get real for a minute. For some of you in the room tonight, when I just said that phrase, like it immediately meant something because... Um, Unfortunately, the cards that you were dealt is that the sin from your parents it has major implications in your life. And so for me, I grew up, no dad, and I'm 29 years old, and there's still plenty of moments. I have no idea what it means to be a man. No clue. And God sent me a ton of mentors. He's been super kind to me. But like the sin of my dad not being there, like it has major implications in my life. And even when I'm laying in my, in, in my daughter's beds and my beautiful, amazing kids, when I'm laying with them, there are moments where I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Because when I was three, when I was six, when I was one, no man was laying in my bed talking to me. And so it's been super complicated for me to try to figure that out. And here's what I would say. Like you probably have your own version of that where the sin of your parents or somebody above you has bled off onto you and it's created some difficulty. And I think one thing um, that would be helpful as we try to become the next generation and create a more godly kingdom is what would it look like for us if we committed to holiness in such a way that our sin did not bleed off on the people behind us. And that may not be a thought that you have at 19 or 20, but I promise it's coming real quick. And whether you have biological kids or spiritual kids, like there are going to be people that God puts into your life that need you to be committed to God. And that will be affected if you aren't. So it's both this beautiful challenge and this difficult reality. And it's easy to think that our sin only hurts us. Don't miss this. 
It's easy to think that our sin only hurts us. And let me, let me tell you something tonight. That is not true. That is a lie straight from hell. Your sin, it affects you. It affects the people around you. It affects the people that love you. It affects the people that are going to be in your life forever that you don't even know yet. And so we cannot treat it as if it's flippant. And then verse 25. This is awesome. If you think the Bible's lame, just read this verse right here. This is Nehemiah. So I confronted them. Again, people in sin. And I called down curses on them. I beat some of them. And I pulled out their hair. So if you think the Bible's true, that's pretty freaking cool, man. <laughs> I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. So... When I meet Nehemiah in heaven one day, I'm gonna be like, all right, for real, I got, you need me to tell. Like, you, you pulled out their hair? Like, what, was God cool with that? Or was that across the line? Like, what we got going on? But here's the point, is this how this whole book ends? This is the end of this book. And this is how this book ends. It ends with a man after God's own heart who is so committed to his people being in line with God's design for their life that he's willing to go to the nth degree to pull them back. That's how much he is willing to step in. He believes in holiness that much. And so you may be thinking, why in the world will we talk about that tonight? Well, here's why I wanted to just come and give you some categories for sin is because, again, sin, it will and it can prevent you from what God has for you in your life. And this is what, if I could go back and tell myself anything sitting in your seat, this is what I would tell myself, is that if you just trust in God, we just sang about it, if you can just trust in God and obey him, his design for your life, it is not a bunch of rules. It is not boring. It is not lame. It's actually the most amazing life that you can live. And let me tell you this tonight. If you're not a Christian, none of this probably makes any sense. But I do want you to know, like, as I think about following Jesus, like, I'm thrilled to be a son of God. I'm excited to be living in God's kingdom because I've tried both lives and one is significantly better than the other. One is significantly better than the other. I'll come back to you in a second. If you are a Christian, I have two questions for you. Um, here's the first. Is um, what, where, where are you compromising? Where are you compromising? Where is sin slowly and gradually chipping away at you? And tonight, I believe that God wants to give you an opportunity to name it, maybe even to tell somebody and to repent. And maybe this is what you needed tonight. Maybe you needed just a little shakeup, a little confrontation for you just to say, okay, no, you're right. And here's the thing is as you turn away from that, here's the real question that you have to answer, that we all have to answer, is, is what God has for me better? And for anybody who's a Christian in the room tonight who has tried both lives, hopefully your testimony tonight is that I've tried both and what God has for me is better. Anybody? Amen? And so the thing is, the reason we have to remind ourselves of this is because we're just, we're prone to wonder. And it happens slowly. And so we have to make sure that we're staying rooted in what God has for us.
And then here's the second question for you if you're a Christian tonight. Is, do you have anybody in your life that is willing and able to confront you in your sin? Do you have anybody in your life that is willing and able to just take you to lunch and say, hey, can I just, can I tell you something? I've noticed. Hey, I'm concerned. And that may feel like the worst thing anybody's ever stood up here and told you. (laughs) But can I just tell you, that has saved my life. It saved my life. It's been slow. It's been moments that I wasn't expecting. But the fact that somebody was willing and able to lean across the table to me and speak truth and love, it has changed who I am. And I'm so grateful for it. And if you don't, then here's the next question, is what does it look like for you to put yourself in a position to receive that from people? What does it look like for you to have relationships that are filled with the ability to speak truth in love? Because let me just go back to my earlier point. Like y'all are all awesome and amazing and you're gonna do great things in the kingdom. But if you have somebody in your life that's willing to speak truth to you and love, somebody that you're inviting in, you will do greater things. Your ceiling will be higher, and what you do for God and how you live your life will be greater if you let somebody in, if you let God speak to you through that. And then if you're not a Christian, I would ask, um, what do you think about all this? (laughs) Does it feel like these people are crazy? And this is just a bunch of nonsense, a bunch of rules. And this would be my challenge to you tonight, is go ask anybody in the room who you know is a Christian and just say, hey, for real, tell me about it. Like, I don't need the Bible words. I don't need the verses. Like, just what's it like to follow Jesus? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Because I'll tell you, for me, like, I flirted with the world for a long time flirted with the world for a long time. I thought it had something to give me. And then eventually I realized that every time I would go to the well, I come back thirsty. Until I decided to take a leap of faith and trust in God and give up my desires, give him, give up my desires for whatever it is, sexual desires, successful desires, money, fame, influence, When I began to lay all that down, God in some mysterious way began to fill me up in ways that I'd never experienced. And I'm thrilled, I'll say it again, I'm thrilled to be in his kingdom because I'm just gonna tell you, there's gonna be a day when we stand face to face with him when we're not gonna be anxious anymore. We're not gonna be worried about the next test. We're not gonna be crying because our grandmother just passed away. We're not going to have to lock our doors in case somebody's coming over to break in and enter. We're not going to have to cry because we just had a hard breakup. We're not gonna have to be upset because we just had a miscarriage. We're not going to have to be anxious thinking, what happens if my daughter stops breathing tonight? We're not have to worry about any of that. And forever, we'll get to sit at his feet in the presence of other believers and we'll get to sing, we'll get to work, we'll get to laugh. And we'll look back. I think this. I believe this. I think we'll look back and think, man, sin. You remember that thing? Remember that thing called sin? (laughs) When we used to reject God's design and try to find fulfillment in this world. Man, it's good that all that's gone, isn't it? 
And then I think we'll drink good wine and eat good food and we'll celebrate. And it's going to be a good day. And here's the thing that's amazing is that God wants to give you a taste of that on this side of heaven. And it's not going to be the full version. It's going to be way better one day, but he wants to give you a taste. And so I just want to let you consider tonight that maybe part of the way that you taste his blessing in your life is having relationships that are able and willing to lean in and pull you back and so as we sing tonight I don't know what the Spirit's leading you to do but I would challenge you to listen and respond let me pray King Jesus we are grateful for who you are and for an opportunity tonight to to come together and this idea of sin and, and compromise and confrontation, none of this is natural to us. But God, we just want to confess that we don't always know what we need, but you do. Because you made us, you designed us, you know us intricately, in and out. And so God, I pray tonight that these young people in this room, these young believers, that they would experience the gift of being confronted by you. That they would feel the power of a God who loves them, pulling them back. That is the gospel, Jesus, is that you came and you died, not just so that we could feel loved and not just so that we could feel new and not just so that we could feel holy, but that so we could be holy, so that we could experience glory and blessing on this side of eternity. And so I just want to speak over all the sin in the room tonight that is holding us back from experiencing life with you. And I want to challenge every Christian in the room tonight who has a testimony that says that my life is better when I am in living in alignment with God's design for me. I pray that they would rise up tonight. I pray that as they sing tonight, that they would remember the time when they didn't trust you and that they would celebrate the season that they do. I pray this in your name.